Well, good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be here in our new home in Gainesville and sharing God's word with you. God's word with you all. I had to put you all in there. Be we're down in the south now. It's been an amazing journey that's led us here, full of twists and turns, and we're truly thankful for all of you for your prayers and support, and which helped make this possible. And through all the challenges, the Lord has He's worked it all out. He's guided us here, and we've seen His sovereignty through it all. And so, as Pastor Brandon is going through Matthew, the book of Matthew, we thought it would be good that whenever I share God's Word, that we take a look in the Old Testament to give us the whole scope of, of God's Word. And so, we'll be walking through the Old Testament And if we want to walk through the Old Testament, really there is no better book to go through than the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms is really like a mini Old Testament. And I say that because in the book of Psalms we can see everything that's in the Old Testament. We see law and grace, blessing and cursing, doctrine and duty, heaven and hell, theology and doxology, eternity past and eternity future. So just as Matthew shows us Jesus as the King, as the Messiah, the book of Psalms shows us the power of our Lord and Savior. I once heard Steve Lawson when he was teaching on Martin Luther, and he said that Martin Luther went to the book of Romans and Galatians for his theology, but it was the book of Psalms that he went to for courage. When Martin Luther read the Psalms, it gave him the strength and the boldness that he needed to stand tall to trust in God and carry on in the Reformation. So hopefully as we walk through the book of Psalms and we see the power of our Lord, it will give us courage to carry on in this out-of-control, wicked and getting wicked by the minute world That we, as we see His sovereignty and His power, as we get to see the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, as we see all the promises of the coming Messiah that we're watching unfold as we study through the book of Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles here this morning, I invite you to grab them. And if you're able, to stand with me and turn to the very first Psalm. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. As we look at Psalm 1 today, it's going to show us that there's only two roads in life. Just two ways that we can go. The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. We kind of talked about a little bit in, in Bible study today, this morning, as we went through Genesis. There's only two roads. So Psalm 1, beginning at verse 1, and I'll be reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible, and God's Word reads, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree, firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not rise in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And there ends the reading of God's Word. You may all be seated. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word because this is how we learn about you. And Father, we ask that you meet us, meet us where we are today. You know our hearts. You know what we need to hear, Lord. And I pray that you forgive me for my shortcomings and Father, preach a better message than I have prepared. And we ask that you open our eyes and our ears to this wonderful truth. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, first a little background of the book of Psalms before we jump in. When we look at Psalm 1 here, it's interesting that Psalm 1 was not the first psalm written. Psalm 90 was the first psalm written. And it was written some 400 years before Psalm 1 was. And the last psalm that was written is, was Psalm 126. It was written sometime around 500 B.C. So it's amazing that the book of Psalms has a span of about a thousand years between the writing of Psalm 90 and Psalm 126. And so we can say that it took about a thousand years to write the book of Psalms. And after all these psalms were written, men called compilers went and compiled all of them together. And what these compilers did was put this psalm first. And so this, this psalm became Psalm 1. And it was placed first for a reason. Psalm 1 was put in the leadoff spot because it sets the tone for the rest of the psalms to come. And the tone of this psalm is that there are only two roads, and only two roads in life. And every single person is on one of these roads. And so when we open the book of Psalms, we're hit right off the bat with the question that everyone must answer. Which road are we on? And this is a very important question. Because there's the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And each one of us in this room this morning is on one of these paths. We're either headed for life or we're headed for destruction. So this means we're either walking with the Lord in righteousness or we're separated from the Lord and on the way of the wicked. And we'll look at these two roads today. So first in verses 1-3, through three, we'll see the road that's the road of the righteous. And the second in verses 4-6, through six, we'll see the second road and that's the road of the wicked. The only two roads we can take in life. The road of the wicked or the road of the righteous. So let's dive into God's holy word. First, the road of the righteous, verses 1 through 3. Verse 1 How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners. So the first thing we need to see here in verse 1 are these first five words How blessed is the man? And what we see here with this statement is the entire book of Psalms begins with this wonderful pronouncement. How blessed is the man. And this pronouncement, it sets the tone for the entire book of Psalms. And really, this pronouncement sets the tone for our entire Christian life. And what this is telling us is the book of Psalms is a book that defines and describes the blessings of God on those who put their trust in the Lord. In fact, if we look through the book of Psalms, we can find the word blessing 108 times. And the phrase, how blessed, 26 times. So there's a thread that runs through the entire book of Psalms. And if we look at the very next Psalm, Psalm 2, at the end of Psalm 2, in the last verse, verse 12, we see again, how blessed. So we 
So we have how blessed bookends that begin Psalm 1 and end Psalm 2. The men who compiled, compiled the book of Psalms put these Psalms together. This, this phrase, how blessed, because they're, they're like the guardrails for, for us that, that keep us from veering off the road as we, as we come to the house of worship. And remember, again, there's only two roads we can be on, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And so it's much better to be on the road of the righteous and that's why they're how blessed. The thread that runs through the entire book of Psalms is blessed. And this thread of blessed, when Pastor Brandon gets to Matthew chapter 5, we'll see that our Lord Jesus continues with this thread as he starts out one of the most famous sermons, his Sermon on the Mount, with blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. And he goes on with blessed. So we can say that the Beatitudes are a continuation of this thread shown here in, in the Psalms. Again, if we go all the way to the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 7, it says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And what we see from all this is the Bible, God's word, is a pronouncement of God's blessing on a person who trusts him with a saving faith and walks with Him by daily faith. So there's no better road to be on than the road of the righteousness. Even with all the riches and the fame this world has to offer, nothing can compare with walking and trusting in our Lord on the road of righteousness. It's the greatest life we could ever live. But we need to ask the question, what does it really mean? How blessed is the man? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, there's five ways of of blessed here. And again, this blessedness is, does not come from the world. And if you notice this, how blessed, blessed is in the plural, so it's not just a one time thing. Charles Spurgeon once said about how blessed is the man here that this could be translated as, oh, the blessednesses, which means the blessings upon blessings, the abundant blessings that are poured out on us who put their trust in the Lord. This word blessed, it means happy, content, fulfilled. And this is what our Lord Jesus was saying when He said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This how blessed is the man has five ways that he's on the road of righteousness. And all of these begin with the letter S. This man is blessed because he's saved, satisfied, separated, saturated, and sustained. And so let's walk through each one of these. First is salvation. He's saved. And salvation is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So how blessed are those through justification by faith because now they're right with God. Salvation, to, to be saved, is to be right, being right with God. And because of that, it gives us a fulfillment and a happiness that, that nothing else can bring. Because if we look at the flip side of this, What's the opposite of blessed? Well, it's cursed, condemned. So when this psalm says, how blessed is the man, it's saying to believers how forgiven, how justified, how right with God is the man or woman who's put their faith in the Lord. To be saved, to have salvation is such a blessing because we've been, we've been imputed with the righteousness of Christ. And our sin debt that we owe it has been wiped away. Psalm 32, in Psalm 32, in verses 1 and 2, 
it tells us, how blessed is he whose transgressions whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whose iniquity Yahweh will not take into account and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And there can be no blessing apart from trusting God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And so the first way of blessing, the first S, salvation, is being saved. And the second way of blessing is that there's a satisfaction in our lives because because now there's joy. There's a deep joy that's found nowhere else. And this joy, it's, it's the height of contentment. Because we're walking with the Lord on the road of righteousness and there's nothing else like it. It's a joy and it's a happiness. Why? Because happiness comes from our... It's, it's, I'm saying it's not happiness. We don't say happiness. We say joy. And the reason is, is because happiness comes from our happenstance or our happenings. And those can go up and down depending on our circumstances. They can be like a roller coaster as we experience the up and downs of life. And so when things are going good, we're up, we're happy. But when we're going bad, we're down. But this kind of satisfaction, it isn't like that. Because again, this joy comes from the Lord. So as we go through all the ups and downs of life, there's a steady line of joy in the Lord. But this doesn't mean that we won't feel the pain and sufferings of this life doesn't mean that we'll, we'll never cry because we'll still feel the pain and the suffering of this fallen world. But now we have an inner joy that will keep us from, from remaining in the heartbreaks of life, staying in the pit of sadness because, because there's a supernatural reality in this blessedness that's, that's just flowing into us. We're all going to experience those, those gut punches in life but we can still have peace. Peace like a river. And if we're a believer, if we're born again, this is our life. Blessed is the man or woman in the Lord. And this blessedness is found only in the Lord. And so verse 1 goes on. And we can see the third way of blessing is separation. There's a separation between the righteous and the wicked. But this isn't telling us that we're not to ever have any interaction with the world or, or move into the mountains or separate or retreat from the world. No, it's not telling us that, but what it is telling us is that we need to refrain from living like the world. We're in the world, not of the world. So it's, it's not isolation, but insulation. We're to separate. And the rest of verse 1 says, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Notice the three things the righteous man he does to separate himself from the world. He doesn't walk, stand, or sit with the wicked. So first, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked? And counsel, it's talking about our mind, the way we think, our worldview. So even though we're all either working in the world or going to school in the world, we're interacting with people in the world, we're not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. With all of our technology, we're going to be bombarded with the opinions and the ideas and manipulation of, of, of this world. I mean, from, from television and movies, to social media, everything. Everything we see and hear and, or read will be trying to influence us to think and act like the world. The world decides this is now right. And it wants everyone else to jump on board and support it. So we ask the question, where do we go for wisdom? 
How do we become wise? Do people just become wise because they grow old? No, we must go to a source that gives us wise counsel. And there is no wiser book to go to than the Bible. It's the owner manual for life. But where does the world go for wisdom? Well, it goes to worldly wisdom, secular humanism, and ungodly counsel. We're told to refuse ungodly counsel. We're to reject secular humanism, which is the belief that humanity is capable of morality and self-fulfillment without any belief in God. We're to reject the man-centered thinking that rules this world. We're to reject, we're to reject the man-centered everything. We're to reject the counsel of the wicked. We're to separate from this. Next, another way it says to separate is to nor stand in the way of sinners. So now, notice, they're standing like the sinners. They're following their lead. Why? Well, because the counsel of the wicked dealt with the way they think. And that forms their worldview, their thought life. And that's why we need to separate from the way of the wicked, because if we don't, all the secular sources with all their manipulation, with all their bombardment of this sinful culture, will pull us down the road we don't want to be on. Because what we think will lead us to act. It leads to our activity. Sin always begins in the heart, and then it moves to the mind, and then it leads to action. So the blessed man does not sit and have fellowship with sinners because he he wants to stay on the righteous road. The blessed man needs to reject any thought of doing any activity that's contrary to the commandments of God and the way of of wisdom. And then the final way we need to separate here in verse 1 is it says, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Again, notice we have this downward spiral on why we need to separate from the world. If we don't, we have this walking, and then it's standing, and now it's sitting. We're becoming like the world. We're in it instead of of it. The world can pull us into its thinking and acting like it if we're not walking on the righteous road. So here we're to separate from, from sitting in the seat of scoffers. And what this means is we don't find our joy in the sinful things of this world. We don't get our happiness from the pleasures of sin. No, this blessed man refuses to think this way. He refuses to follow this road. No, this blessed man separates himself from the world's way of thinking, their behavior, and, from, and even from their belongings. It's as if he's put a firewall around himself. And so he's in the world, but he doesn't abuse the grace of God and see how much sin he can play around with and still be called a Christian. He doesn't try to see if he can have one foot in the, in the worldly, wicked road and the other foot on the righteous road. He wants to keep on the road of righteousness because he understands that he must be careful of what he puts before his eyes. And he guards what he hears. He guards what he puts into his mind. He does all this because we can see What we hear is what will derive our direction in life. What we see and what we hear. And so this man understands that bad company corrupts good morals. And that's impossible to pick up a... It's impossible to pick up a burning log and try to hold it close to your chest and not get burned. There must be a separation from the world. 1 John 2 and verse 15 In 1 John 2.15, it tells us, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Again, 1 John isn't telling us not to love the people in the world. It's not saying that. No, it's, it's saying we're not to love this evil world system. 
this evil world system that's anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-truth, anti-family values, anti-anything that's given by God and it's holy. Do not love the world. Instead, we're to have a satisfaction in the Lord. And there must be a separation from the world. And really, that's what we're all doing here this morning. We're here in church, and church means called out. Called out of what? Called out of the world. So blessed is the man because of salvation and separation. Now we come to the fourth of the blessed. And that's the righteous is he's saturated. He's saturated in the Word of God. So look at verse 2. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. So in verse 1, we looked at the negative side, or how to be blessed, how to be content, how to be fulfilled, and in order to do that, this is what we should not do. But here in verse 2, we see the positive side, because it begins with but. Here's the flip side. Here's what we need to be doing. So this guy is unlike the wicked sinner and scoffers. He's a totally different belief system. So he has a different authority than the world. He has a different worldview. He has a different moral standard because he's walking a different road. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh. So he has a different desire and a different love. But how does this happen? How can this man be so different from the world? Well, Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 26 happens. Ezekiel 36, 26, God says, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So this man has a new heart through the new birth. God has removed his old heart of stone, which was hard and cold towards God, and he replaced it with a heart of flesh. So God has done surgery on the blessed man or the blessed woman and taken out the heart of stone and has implanted a whole new heart. A heart of flesh that's alive unto God. This heart is now beating for God. It has new desires and a new love. And then in Ezekiel 26, the next verse, in verse 27, it says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to do my judgments. So with this new heart, God now writes His law on it. If that's not enough, God also puts His spirit in this new heart so they can walk in these new statutes. It's a whole new life. And we see this new life here in the Old Testament in Ezekiel, but Paul says virtually the same thing in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. And these new things include a delight in the Word of God. There's now a a love of studying the Word of God. And we can see this love in Psalm 1 here. It says, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. Notice it's his delight, is. This word is, it's not was or will be, but is. So it's a continually ongoing desire. But just what is it to delight in something? Well, delight means to take pleasure, to find enjoyment in something, to feel great favor towards something. So this isn't just a Sunday morning delight. No, this is an everyday throughout the week kind of delight. And this delight in the law of Yahweh, it's not just talking about the Ten Commandments here, but it's talking about God's entire Word. 
So back here, when Psalm 1 was written, it was everything that was God-inspired or written down. And today for us, it's the whole Word of God that we're holding in our hands. Genesis to Revelation. And look at what his delight causes this man to do. The rest of verse 2 says, And in his law, he meditates day and night. And this word meditated, it has the idea of digesting something thoroughly of going over it in his mind repeatedly and slowly, reflecting on it. It would be like, like a cow chewing its cud. Did you know that cows spend nearly eight hours a day chewing their cud? And the reason they do this is because a cow has to chew their food twice in order to digest it properly, so it's an all-day thing. And so that's what we do when we meditate. We go over what we've read and we allow the Word to shape our lives day and night. And this is really basic Christianity. For every believer, we delight in the law of God. We meditate on the law of God. We, we need to be saturated with Scripture. Because in order, in order to go on our walk with the Lord, it depends on how much we're in Scripture, how deep we go. And we can ask the question, how much time should we spend in God's Word? Well, we answer that question with another question, just how much do you want to grow? We can't grow unless we're in the Word. So how blessed is the man? And he, and he is blessed because of his salvation. And because he's satisfied in the Lord. And because he's separated from the world. And because he's saturated in the Word. And now in verse 3, the fifth way he's blessed is that he is sustained by the Lord. And so what happens when this man is saved, satisfied, separated, and saturated? Well, he's sustained. Look at verse 3. And he will be like a, a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. So this man or woman will be like a tree. And Brandon read it this morning in Jeremiah. There was that reference to the tree again. It's a simile or a comparison that's being made to this blessed man and a tree. And notice that he will be like a tree planted by streams of water. So what that means is he didn't start out by these streams of water. He started out someplace else. So he's been transplanted. He's been moved from point A to point B. Really, he started out where everybody begins their life, in a barren wasteland of sin. He started off in the desert of this world where nothing grows spiritually. So he was a small, stunted, withering, dying tree with no growth and no fruit. But someone has come and dug him up, roots and all, and then transplanted him by these streams of water. And so now he can put down deep roots, deep roots into streams of water. We all know that trees don't transplant themselves, so what we see here is the invisible hand of God. That God, by His incredible mercy and grace, and the miracle of regeneration, and the power of the new birth has transplanted him. And it's the same for each one of us here this morning. If we're born again, the blessed man or blessed woman has been transplanted. Because each one of us, each one of us was also born in the desert wilderness of this evil world system. And God, by His Spirit, laid hold of us and, and has drawn us and, has, and by His sovereign, sovereignty, He planted us by the streams of water. And this is who we are if we're truly saved. This is what God has done in our life. And notice it's, it's, it's firmly planted. Firmly planted. So this tree isn't going anywhere. 
and it's firmly planted by streams of water. And streams is plural. So that means it's, it's, it's bountiful water. It's an abundance of water. It's rivers of water, streams of water. And this river will, this water will never dry up. The water just keeps coming. And this is, this is what we can draw upon. This is a never-ending abundance of water. Even during the toughest times in our lives, it's still flowing. We're going to be so glad to be firmly planted by this unending streams of water because we're all going to go through some very tough times in life. But this water will never dry up. So it's oceans and oceans of water and oceans and oceans of grace, grace upon grace. God has an abundant supply of it all. And so this tree, firmly, firmly planted by the water, next it says, which yields its fruit in its season. So whatever season, whatever season of life we're in, God yields the fruit in our lives that we need when we need it. And this fruit is true godliness. It's Christ-likeness. It's year-round, in season and out of season. How can we be so sure? We'll look at the rest of verse 3. And its leaf does not wither. So these trees won't lose their leaves and fall like they do in the Midwest, or maybe they do here. No, this tree, it's always green in every season, in good times and bad, whether in adversity or prosperity. No matter what's going on, its leaf does not wither. So with the streams of grace just pouring into it, this, this is a spiritual life that is strong and vibrant, and it stands out when compared to the dead bushes of this world. And then the last part of verse 3, it says, "...in whatever He does." So whatever He does, that includes everything. So whatever He does at work, whatever He does at home, whatever He does at school, whatever He does on the road, whatever He does at church, what? He prospers. He thrives. His soul prospers. His heart rejoices. He doesn't dry up. He prospers. And this prospers, this prosperity isn't material prosperity. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This is far more valuable because money can't buy this. No, this is eternal blessedness. It's, it's, it's peace and joy. It's contentment. It's, it's happiness within the soul. And this prosperity enables us to, to fulfill the divine purpose that God has placed in each of us on this earth to do. And so as we look at, at the walk of the righteous man here in verses 1-3, through three, hopefully, hopefully this describes us today. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, we have to ask the question, does this sound like you? Does this sound like your Christian walk? This is a Christian walk. And for some, it's more to a degree and others maybe less a degree, but this is the true walk of a believer. So are you saved? Are you satisfied in the Lord? Are you separated from the world? Are you saturated in the Word? And are you sustained by the Lord? And if you're here today and you're not sure, don't leave here today without talking to someone about it. So first, the road of the righteous. And now second, we'll see the road of the wicked, verses 4-6. through six. And notice in verses 4-6 through six how straightforward these verses are when they talk about this road. There's no sugarcoating this kind of walk here. And it's good for us that God's Word hits life issues head on. There's no beating around the bush. We're so thankful that God's Word is clear and straightforward. So here's the only other option, the only other way of life, the only other road that we can walk. Here's the contrast with 
the righteous road. Verse 4 starts out, the wicked are not so. So we've already met this wicked man in verse 1 when it said, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. So this wicked man is an unconverted man. He's not been born again. He still has the heart of stone. Remember, the wicked man is the one who's in the dry, barren wilderness of sin. He's caught up with the things of this world. He's never been transplanted by the streams of water. And he's all dried up. He's, he's spiritually dead. He has no life, no fruit, and that means his thoughts are wicked. His mouth is wicked. His desires are wicked. He's living in total depravity. He, he's contaminated and polluted his life. But it's funny, when we see him driving around here in Gainesville, or we see him at the Gators football game, he might look successful. He might appear to be happy. But is he? What does God's Word say about him? Again, verse 4 starts out, The wicked are not so. So This means the wicked are not like the righteous, and so they they have no part in the promised blessing. And really the whole truth about the human race can be found in these two words. Not so. Not so the wicked. So that means they're not happy. They're not blessed. They're not satisfied. They're not fruitful. They're They're on a different path. Because they're in the downward spiral of sin, which we looked at in verse 1. Remember, they walk in the counsel of the wicked. That's ungodly counsel. They stand in the way of sinners. That's ungodly conduct. They sit in the seat of scoffers. That's ungodly companions. They're not at all deeply rooted. They're not evergreen trees planted by the streams of water. It says, not so. They're like the dried up bush in the desert. Because of this, the rest of verse 4 says, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Like chaff. Chaff means worthless, dead, unserviceable, without substance, and easily carried away. So just what is chaff? Well, chaff is the husk or the hull that surrounds a nut or a kernel of grain. It's kind of like a peanut shell that surrounds the peanut. And once the peanut's gone, what do we do with the shell? Well, we throw it away. It's worthless. And this is what the sinner, sinner man or sinner woman is like. In Matthew chapter 3 and verse 12, John the Baptist was preaching to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he said this to them, that one day the Lord Jesus, when He comes, Matthew 3.12, it says, And He, the Lord Jesus, will thoroughly clear His thrashing floor, and He will gather His wheat into into the barn, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Here's the eternal separation of the righteous from the wicked. For the wicked, there's nothing. They're worthless. There's no reality of God or, or Christ in their life. But they are like chaff which the wind blows away into eternal punishment, into the lake of fire. And then verse 5, because of that, therefore the wicked will not rise in the judgment. So because the wicked are like chaff, they have no leg to stand on when they appear at the great white throne of judgment. When the time for judgment comes, the wicked will not stand because they have no roots. There's nothing of lasting value. And with one breath, the Lord will blow all the wicked into eternal punishment. Revelation 20, we see that. Revelation 20 in verses 11 through 15. They say, Then I saw the great white throne and Him who sits upon it. For for those present, presence earth and, and, and heaven fled away, 
and no place was found for them. Then I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up, gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. There is a final judgment for every person to stand before the living God. And here it says, therefore, the wicked will not rise in the judgment. So the wicked will not stand in pardon like the righteous. The wicked will not stand in acquittal like the righteous. No, the righteous or saved sinners will stand acquitted before God because the judge has judged for them in their place as the sinless substitute on the cross. But the wicked will not. There's no standing in grace. Psalm 5 and verses 4 and 5. Psalm 5 and verses 4 and 5 tells us, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil does not sojourn with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all workers of iniquity. The wicked have no defense. So therefore the wicked will not rise in the judgment. And at the end of verse 5 here, it says, Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Notice there's going to be a separation. So right now, the blessed man and the wicked man, they live together. They live side by side in this world. But one day, there's going to be a great separation. So the unconverted children will be separated from their saved parents, or the unconverted parents will be separated from their saved children. Unconverted friends separated from their unsaved friends. Saved friends from... You get it. Why? Well, verse 6. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. And this word knows here, it means God's continuing intimacy with, caring, and watching over His own. It's God knowing them intimately. It's the same word used to describe when Adam knew his wife Eve in a loving relationship. It's the most intimate, loving, personal relationship you can have between two people. And here it's talking about God and those who are blessed. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. And this happens because the Lord goes before the righteous and prepares the way for the righteous. And then the Lord comes behind and protects the righteous. The Lord knows the righteous intimately. Our Lord said in Matthew 28, Behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. God knows the righteous intimately and will never leave them. And then the last part of verse 6. Last part of verse 6 is, but the way of the wicked will perish. And perish means to be ruined, to be lost, to be in a state of ruin, to be in a hopeless state. This, so this not, is not annihilation. No, this is, this is ever perishing, but never perishing. It's, it's a soul that will, that will be in forever torment, with no end of relief. It's, it's the weeping and mashing of teeth. And here we have the great contrast. We have the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And these are the only two roads. There are no other roads that we can take. The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. And so as we conclude this morning, as we, as we wrap this up, what does this mean for us? Well, this psalm was placed first in order in the book of Psalms because it, again, it sets the tone for the rest of the psalms. It wants us to know that there are only two roads that we can take in life. 
with two different life results, with two different relationships with God. So which one are we on? We have the righteous road, which leads to a blessed life and a close personal relationship with God. And a righteous man, this righteous man who walks down this blessed path, he does it because he's saved and he's satisfied in the Lord. He's separated from the world. He's saturated in the world and he's sustained by the Lord. And then we have the other road, the road of the wicked. And this man is not blessed. He's like the chaff that the wind blows away because he has no firm roots planted by the many waters. And so this man takes counsel from the wicked. He wants to be like the world. He loves the wicked world system. He stands with the way, in the way of sinners. And he lives for ungodly conduct. And he sits in the seat of scoffers. He, he loves being around ungodly people that do the same sins he does. So we only have two roads. And again, when we look at the, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he was echoing Psalm 1. And this blessed is the man, this, this thread that goes through the whole Bible. The Sermon on the Mount, like I said, begins with blessed are, those, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the lowly, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But then at the end of this amazing sermon in Matthew chapter 5, our Lord Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is narrow and the way is constricted that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus is echoing Psalm 1. He's talking about two roads in life and one is narrow and the other is broad. Again, which one are you on? And the only way to enter the narrow gate is through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. Our Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we ask the question, have you ever turned your back on the world? Have you entered, ever entered through the narrow gate? If you never have, you must get off the broad path that leads to destruction. How do you do this? God's Word says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there is salvation in no other name. Because there is no other name under heaven given by men whereby we must be saved. If we're without Christ, we're cursed. If we're in Christ, we're blessed. And if you're without Christ today, it's not too late to enter into the narrow gate because our Lord Jesus loves to receive sinners. So it doesn't mean you just have to walk to Him. You can run to Him and He'll gladly receive you unto Himself. And if you repent, He'll wash away your sins. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. And so that's, that's from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. And we'll be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And if that's not amazing enough, then our Lord Jesus takes His righteousness and He places it onto us. He clothes us in His perfect righteousness. So that now when God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of His perfect Son, Jesus Christ. And that's as if we lived the perfect sinless life that He lived on our behalf. And then you'll be off the broad road and off the broad gate and now you'll be on the narrow road and the narrow gate of the blessed believer, 
The blessed believer who's joyous, fulfilled, content believer. And then you'll have a home with the Lord in heaven forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this psalm because it's so full of truth. And Father, keep us on the path of the godly and the righteous instead of the path of the sinners. Father, we pray that you make your word our delight. We pray for those who, Father, may be on the broad road right now, that they get off it and they run to Christ. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.